No, we didn't write that song. That's Rob Zombie. You'll see why it fits in the episode later. But uh, always been a Rob Zombie fan, mainly because Josh Head looks just like Rob Zombie, especially in our two online concert special videos we just released. Only a Man one just came out yep. this week, and it was a blast. Uh, Toby, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I mean, I don't know any other way of saying it. It's the thing that I'm the most proud of. Jess, my wife, we watched it, and I could just – she really loved it. Like, I, like that is a huge – Yeah. Like, uh, that, that means a lot to me. And she said, she said something I thought was really awesome. She said that was a great way – to really kind of put a uh, a bow and an end to that record. Like, for example, Correct. in the future, we're not going to be able to probably play that record much on tour, you know what I mean? Especially not the whole record. And so to be able to that record, uh, is one of our most you know polarizing records that we ever wrote, to make that for that record is like the biggest tribute to that album, which I love. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a full circle redemption feeling to that. I mean, cycle, it's awesome. No doubt. And, to me, it you know, I, other people can think I'm crazy, but I don't have a problem being crazy. But to me, that's that's the art form I always was wanting when I heard Nirvana the first time. Yeah, is to be able to see what I was hearing and how they make that. Right. That I didn't think I want to go stand in a sweaty auditorium and bang around with people while with bad sound while Kurt Cobain sings. I didn't think that. I thought, how do they? do that make those sounds and i feel like that's what this uh special is like so to me it's like another it's like a video album it's more than a show where you just hear some stuff the first time i right. saw silver chair it was one of the first concerts i ever saw i saw silver chair at house of blues in myrtle beach and uh it i was super excited to see a band that i love that much for real and even up close and the second the show started, it was this crazy crowd. I was unprepared, you know. I was <laughs> right. a teenager, and I hated it every second of it. I thought it sounded horrible. I was scared of all the big people. It was just <laughs> I, I hated the environment so much. <laughs> now, I, now I like that environment too. Right. Uh, but I had to come to grow to love what the energy, it, yeah. the collective organism of a crowd pumping together is its own thing, and it's you cannot touch that. But the but. Uh, to do these concerts has been really, really good. I'm looking forward to the week's end. The week's end is on January 27th. Uh, that's 17 years to the date of the release of that. And we feel like we've got the real encapsulation and embodiment of, of that record to, to show and to put into the time capsule for the future or something like that. So great success. Thank you, everybody, that supported it. It was Emory's biggest show yeah. to date. So And it was all around the world. People got to see us for the first time. And it's our biggest show we've ever had. And I think it's... I really think it was our, you know, one of our, if not best performance and most concentration we put into a thing. So great success. Go to emorymusic.com. That is the sponsor for the show and see the week's end on January 27th. Okay. Dan and Sari are going to join us uh, in a few minutes, Toby. They have a website. Everybody knows Dan Coke from You Have Permission. But uh, Sari is a lady that has partnered with him that she's got a degree from seminary and interesting history and they built a website called so you're deconstructing because uh, dan's right you know yep. very big on the theology and the thinking about things and making sure things check out and it's you know he's he does a lot of thinking for other people that they can, can kind of trust and i think this website feels that way so um i'm gonna see if we can get them on here and we'll get into it unless you got anything else that's all that's great that's great well um so this should be a really fun conversation, but since the three of us have talked so much, it seems like it would be 
best to get to know Sari a little bit and bring her into our world and get to know her and stuff like that. So Dan, welcome tells to us, our world. Yeah, Sari. welcome to this world. Sari. I promise it is safe for you. <laughs> what have I gotten myself? Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't be nervous at all. But Dan tells us yeah, that you I'm have nervous. an interesting backstory that has somehow to Rob Zombie is in your uh, backstory. So I don't. Let's just let's just. And, so we're going to talk about Rob Zombie is lurking in the shadows of Sari's right. backstory. Yeah. So scribbling we're notes about for his next film and, and reconstruction. But there's a Rob Zombie prequel here somehow to get to get there. So let's let's take us on the journey. Yeah, I told. I told Dan, I was like, at least they're like band guys. Like, I feel like I, I know band guys. <laughs> I was like, I should try to figure out like what, I don't even know what <laughs> instruments y'all played, but I could probably figure it out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was a manager for 10 years, a band manager. So um, I, I managed a lot of bands, but Rob Zombie was really the, the meat and potatoes of the agency or the management company that I worked for. And so we managed his filmmaking career as well as his music career. So, so, so you were with him when he made his first movie or whatever. Backstage. What was the first, like a house of a thousand <laughs> corpses? Not that one. Not the first movie. Yeah. No, no. The first movie now is like 20 years ago. Oh I yeah. Like. Yeah. I was around for when he started doing the Halloween remake. So in 2007, he remade Halloween and then he ended up doing a sequel in 2009. That's where, that's where I was in the picture. I was involved in the making of a movie called 31 and the Lords of Salem. So <laughs> very scary stuff. But Rob's delightful. Rob's very nice to be around. He's, he's a great client. He kind of knows the business side. And, um, you know, if he had something to text me about on the weekend, he'd apologize. I heard he's a, he's a big time he's Southern Baptist vegan. Christian, too. Is that true? <laughs> Rob, Rob Zombie, the Southern Baptist, would be so awesome. Yeah, he's been, I, I see he's been retweeting Russell Moore recently. Is, that, is this the same Rob Zombie? Yeah, same one. Same one. He goes I, by I Robert really, now. Robert. <laughs> Robert Zombie. <laughs> the, uh, oh, man, that's funny. The, uh, those guys like that with the big acts that you can tell really put a lot into their act, you can almost, you can almost know that they're different kind of people than their act would be in the first place. I think, you know, Mar I know. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Is that, that that's the case? Yeah, though? it's just, yes. An, it's just an aesthetic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And a lot of, cause so I spent a lot of time around, you know, a lot of metal acts going on, you know, the big festival tours and whatnot and all like the heavier, the music, like the most, the more, maybe that's a healthy way. Some people do of, of, of expressing <laughs> themselves instead. Yeah, exactly. It's like that's a release a valve or something, Absolutely. something like that. Right. If the you Southern Baptists mm -hmm. don't have that, you see, the, Oh, it's all yeah. bottled you up. Know what I mean? Yeah. I think, right. I think Rob's working on a follow-up to his biggest song, right? Which is, he's calling it more humanist than humanist. Yeah. And it's just <laughs> yeah. all about relieving suffering in the world and oh my effective. Gosh. <laughs> that's like, yeah, really, I was just like waiting to become joke, a dad. It's not like the jokes have changed. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's interesting that, that you you, you are touring or managing all these bands Magic. and uh, and then because it's funny because bands age and then they move into something else and so you were around this whole music scene and and then you moved into what faith and Christianity or what? I mean that's a it seems like you didn't want to stay in the that <laughs> entertainment scene yeah. or what. 
Well, I, yes and no, I did it. I, I always wanted to be involved in the arts in some way. And I thought it would be cool if I could like help artists do their art. If I was a manager, I could be like close to that situation and then that would be like fulfilling. But it was just like the culture of working in the industry is so unhealthy. I mean, I won't speak for everybody, but my experience is the live like live work balance is very, yeah. there's, there's no concept of it. And so, you know, and then I felt also, I was thinking about this recently, like the reason I was stressed out all the time, it was like, I felt like it was my job to manage things that could possibly <laughs> yeah, yeah, be that's right. most of it. Other that's where all the money is in the music business. I promise you that. That is exactly right. how it works. I mean, you're exactly right. That, I mean, so many of our, like our tour managers, our management, they always seem so stressed. And it was, you know, it wasn't just us because you're managing not just Rob Zombie, a bunch of other people. So, you know, at least with Rob Zombie, like you said, that's your bread and butter. So you, you can kind of handle a little bit more because he's bringing in a ton of income and all, you know, making the wheels spin. But the, the smaller the bands and the smaller stuff, you're like, well, yeah. I have to put up with this again. Yeah. They're having some issue in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or something silly like that, right? Right, right, right. There's all kinds right. of unhealthy, like, oh, codependent, totally. codependent relationships going on. I remember getting in trouble for telling the yeah. artist the truth. <laughs> like it's rule number one, Sarah. Yeah. Rule number one. You can't handle that shit. Unless the truth is the they truth. are God. If that's true, if you see that as true, then go but for a, it. But that's man, there's like, I'm, I'm starting to see some sort of connection between, you know, uh, artists and Trump supporters and managers and GOP politicians and media people, you can get fired or in trouble for saying the truth about things. But, well, yeah, but the segue is, I think, even more apt to just the church yeah. system and pastors and that, their artists and rock stars and their environment. How about that? That's one? a more appropriate segue for the better. That's what it exactly feels like. I don't yeah. see the difference whatsoever, except pastors mm. are, are worse than Craig Owens. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I, I do think though that like i i think uh just having dealt with managers and our especially our tour managers because a lot of times our tour managers were close friends or we became friends with them i think most people would really benefit from that in their life like a tour yeah. manager and not I, I hate the i don't i don't really the life coach is hard for me to buy into because it feels a little too foo-foo but a tour manager literally gets shit done and helps you do stuff that you don't either can't or won't or are going to do poorly anyway like i think people could really use that a lot like we've been talking about adding some uh you know people to what we've been doing here at bad christian maybe even emory and even considering calling them more like that title even that title is better something like like, like a tour or a, not it's not life management it's like the details like you you do have to get in there and help those bands or those artists figure out some details that they just aren't going to or don't want to right or, or at least that's what you had to do i guess Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, but there's I know. nothing like a good tour manager. They're such a good oh, buffer. No. They're such yeah. a good buffer and scapegoat. <laughs> I can't, I could never, I mean, I did a little bit for some smaller bands where I would go on the road for a while and do the tour manager role or whatever. But the, the tour managers that do it full time, you know, year after year, I just don't know how they do it. Road dog you have for to be life. Like a certain you got to be permissive. There's we just found we just found what we yeah. won't explore, which is the you have permission segue, which would be about how tour managers are basically the sacrificial lamb 
for the various sins of the artist. Absolutely. And they stand as yeah. the go-between. There you go. Between stand the artist the and the and the venue or the journalist or the whoever right. that the artist can't just say, I don't want to do your piece. And then yep. the, the tour manager or the manager steps in in that place. They take their place, literally. Yeah. You know, I but agree. we don't have to go down that road. That, no, the, yeah, the tour manager dies, die, takes your place in death, <laughs> so that they go into that office and get an extra hundred and fifty dollars out of the show promoter. <laughs> yes, because I, because I actually did can't that. Do it. Yeah, I had one or two tours, like either at the beginning or at the end. I think it was mostly at the end when we were kind of buckling up our our uh, budgets and stuff. Of the, I don't know, twenty five tours we did, I, I was, I settled on at least two of them. Um, that that part of the tour manager job was my job, and it was fucking awkward to be in the band oh, and have yes. to deal with the money. And I was bringing out all this math, and I had to like kind right. of lean into it a few times. You know, it was right. very. I was like, oh, I really wish I had somebody else to do this. Oh, I know it's the worst. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. People don't. You don't want to. That's why. It, certain in your life you don't want to you just avoid some of that stuff too you just take it you just and it builds up this pressure i think you just start getting hotter and hotter and hotter and so that's why like with the band I, there's been a tons of times like when with, with our tour manager like where i've yelled at our tour manager because i didn't understand the situation or our tour manager had to really strong arm some promoter aaron lunsford uh tour managed for us one time and he made the promoter go to the atm and get money out of the atm that he brought back not enough so he made the get that guy's friend go to his atm and get money too for us because we were in the middle of arkansas somewhere and we we need the money yeah when like, are you gonna the only get reason it? we're right. there, like, like we can't tour if we don't get the money and so i think that parallel is true with 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 some of this stuff that's going on is that i do think that it would be nice if you had some buffer where you could go you could yell and, and they go yeah I, under, I hear you i hear you it's really sucky but let me see what i can do and then yeah it would just kind of dissipate a little bit, right? Everybody's a rock star. Pastors, rock stars, musicians, right? Uh, protesters. And what you're making me realize, what you're making me realize is there's two kinds of go-between that work. There is there is the Christ-like go-between who takes all the pain and suffering on himself, and then there's the Aaron Lunsford type go-between, yeah. who is fucking yeah. Teflon. I know. That works too. Well, I think everybody likes that one better too. I think that's why Trump even became president. And everything, I, the the Christ like you go, man. I really appreciate you taking the pain, and everything. But Trump goes, I'm not taking the pain. I'm going to murder the person or do so, you know? That's what I'm saying. I mean, I was thinking you're like, are you talking about like some kind of representative? Well, <laughs> you yeah, know, right. Like these people need like they a representative. Have... The problem yeah. is, they but they don't believe in them or trust them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, they, yeah that's they, the problem. They each need they a tour manager, one. a personal savior, if you will, is what I'm yeah. trying yeah. to suggest. So if you really yeah. want to defeat, if you really want to <laughs> defeat Trumpism of whoever is the next thing, just draft up some legislation and pay 74 million tour managers, right? Yeah, well, and they, just they, release that. You know, ooh, maybe yeah. maybe five per, maybe five people per <laughs> tour manager. Let's maybe call it 15 million tour managers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can cover it. Well, there there just so happens great. to be a shitload of tour managers out of work right now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think we just wow, solved America. Great <laughs> shit, Toby. Yeah. Or we could go back to old school way and just remember that parents are the tour managers. It's just too late for mm. them. It's too late. Just remember, yeah. you are the tour managers of the future generation if you have kids. Think of it that way. Oh, I like that.
All right. Anyway. So uh, I don't even know what's going on. Y'all know y'all talk with Matt. So what are y'all on here for? What are we, what are we talking about? <laughs> right there. That was time. the truest. Enjoying your company. <laughs> that was the truest little 10 seconds of the Bad Christian podcast. Authenticity. I'm just being authentic. Right oh, so uh, what, what are you? What you Why do? Are Why are you here? Yeah, right, exactly. What are y'all up to? <laughs> you want a drink or anything? Let me get you something. <laughs> We're just hanging out, right? We made a website. We made a website. Yeah. It's called SoYou'reDeconstructing.com, and it started out as a Twitter joke where I just tweeted one day, what if there was like, uh, it gets better, you know, that thing for, for gay youth from gay adults saying, hey, don't worry, it gets better. Like, What if there was, it gets better for recovering evangelicals? And then Sari responded to my tweet, or maybe she texted me, and she was like, hey, that's actually a good idea. We should do that. And then we did it. So, Dan, does this fit Do into, then, yeah. your larger mission? Uh, you're one of the people I know that has a, a self-identified mission. I don't know if you think of yourself as a startup or if you think of yourself as a person with a calling. I know my video's frozen, sorry. Or if it's uh, just a you know, mission of your organization. But your mission is, to see if I can articulate it right, to free people up to experience the love of God. Is that your mission? And if so, how does this website fit into it? Yeah, it's funny. I don't actually talk publicly about that oh, mission. Oh, sorry. But <laughs> no, it's okay. I can, I'd it's be happy fine. to edit that out. No, 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 no. It's no. your internal it, mantra. It's maybe. not I like didn't... a secret or anything, <laughs> okay. but it. yes, that is my, you know, I told you that as my friend. Uh, well, <laughs> we're friends. That's fine. It's fine. It's not It's not any big secret or anything. It's just uh, I don't, you know, I don't normally talk about the organizing principle. But, yeah, that's my sort of organizing principle for public work, which includes the podcast and includes my uh, role upcoming as a therapist. Well, I um, admire that long-term thinking and then making the things fit like what's around you mm. to help you accomplish that. That style of thinking I like, although I'm way EBGB when people say calling. But I, anyway, I sure. think that's another parallel to us where I'm interested in in that. Anyway, I find that fascinating about you. If you don't want me to share, I'm happy to take it. Oh, no, it's it's fine. I let, We can avoid the word calling and just say uh, I feel very resonant with that that um organizing principle and when and through it it did involve some prayer experiences for me but yeah so this totally lines up with that because uh this is not a website that tries to convince people to deconstruct this is a resource and and by the way Sari could talk about this too we don't we're not like married to the word deconstructing it's just kind of the word that people use these days and Mm -hmm. so that's the word that we're using um it's the word that most people would understand what it means but basically, people have something that happens in their life for, you know, for a lot of people, that's actually been these uh, four and a half years of Trump and evangelicalism being wed. For other people, it's a divorce. It's the death of a loved one. It's something that a, a pastor says that they, they follow up on and they're met with, you know, a real uh, negative response, like don't ask that question for some, you know, it's all kinds of things that lead to this. But once that happens, we were not aware of any centralized sort of place where you could look through different topics or under like have other people gone through this what what is it like do i need therapy if i wanted to go to therapy i think i might how do i find a therapist who understands this kind of issue this seems kind of niche um you know that that whole kind of a thing so in that sense yeah i mean that's that's basically leading towards more of a flourishing life and a flourishing life is I think experiencing the love of God. And so that's how it fits in with that principle. But maybe Sari can fill in some of those gaps. 
Yeah, so Sarah, you have a degree from Fuller Seminary and have a obviously spiritual background in addition to your uh, uh, satanic metal background, a professional Satan metal. Don't forget satanic filmmaking too. Film, yeah, satanic filmmaking yeah. career. So, I, yeah. so <laughs> catch us up between filling that gap and get to the with this website for you. I will. Yeah, so I just got kind of burned out. I was working in entertainment for like twelve years, and I had gr- I grew grew up homeschooled evangelical church girl, um, really conservative reformed church growing up. Um, and I really loved theology, um, but I was also really into the arts. Like I said, I went to school and then got involved in entertainment and stuff. Um, burned out, and I was like, I also. Well, I went through a whole life crisis, I guess you could say. <laughs> I was totally burned out on work, just total, just totally drained by managing rock stars and all that. And then also I went through a divorce, which was pretty gnarly. And, uh, and so if my like reset uh, was to go to seminary and just kind of work it all out with God in that way. So yeah, I did a theology and arts kind of emphasis there, and I ended up working at Fuller. Do you have a defining uh, deconstruction event? I have some new thoughts on deconstruction and the language around it, but I'm curious for people if they can pinpoint a deconstruction event and if it was voluntary or not. Hmm. It's sort of a series of things, but I think it would start in therapy. My, my evangelical experience was very heady. It was very much about getting your ideas right and getting in the narrowest, correct lane of, of orthodoxy, you know, smaller orthodoxy, creedal orthodoxy. And so when I started to kind of process my divorce and stuff in therapy, I started to view my uh, instincts and my emotions as sort of a source for knowledge and sort of, um, uh, you know, I, I felt permission to sort of explore those things. And from there, I, you know, I started, I got into some other like mindfulness sort of, um, just exploring my feelings that way. And that just sort of laid the foundation for being open to hearing other views and not getting locked into just like a systematic, the right systematic theology. Um, And I just sort of started following those threads. And then in seminary, I got exposed to sort of the breadth of the Christian tradition and found a lot of beauty in, you know, Wesleyan traditions and all, all charismatic and, you know, so you were able to broaden then um, in, the language I'm trying to use for that is something like for deconstruction, that's more like voluntary and you're exposed to more and explored more as you went. And it wound up retooling at a deeper foundation than you previously had and then rebuilt or reconfigured in that, which I would call not deconstruction, but a controlled demolition remodel. Right. It's hard. The the word voluntary is tricky though, good. right, Carter? Because yeah. I don't it's know a- you. I don't know. I haven't talked with you a lot about your process in terms of actually looking into alternative ways of thinking around some of this stuff. But but my experience with it was more like propulsion mm-hmm. than than voluntary than voluntary action. It was like uh, I'm not going to be able to go to sleep tonight if I can't learn a little bit more about another way of thinking about the Canaanite but genocide. I don't think that's what Sari's saying at all. I don't think she hmm. experienced that in the same way that you. Oh, I, I think see. you you're, have a you're lot more urgency to, to her particular experience. Yes, yeah. I'm talking about her particular experience of someone, you know, she seemed to have a foundation and 
I, you know, feel free to explore it and go deeper at her pace. Agency, yes. I think agency and non-agency is more like a uh, more like a spectrum, you know. And I remember when people would ask me questions about my faith, what I thought about God, what I thought God was like, and I'm I'm firmly planted in my in my hardcore double predestination Calvinism and people, I would boldly proclaim what I thought was the truth and any counter arguments I would not have been open to. Um, when I psychologically sort of processed um, hurt and, um, and pain, like I was through my divorce and went through therapy and started to view my, started to understand my bodily experiences, my emotional experiences, all those things. Hope this isn't sounding too woo woo because I don't, I'm still finding the right language for it, obviously, but through that process of understanding myself better and being able to register those things, my, my physicality and my emotions, I think it expanded my agency. I think it kind of opened me up to yes. broader, you know, it, it moved the needle on that. And then once I had new, once I had new information, I was better able to hear it, discern it, understand it. Yes. I think Dan and Toby's had new, a, a, slightly on the other side of the spectrum of more urgency to it kind of a thing than free exploration more for, like found yourself needing to something how how, did, how would you say that dan yeah that's actually that's interesting that's giving me some language for one of the ways that i think that the website would be helpful uh let's just use series in my experience as two two sides of the same coin for siri she could go oh huh i've i've got a little bit more agency here I wonder what people think about X, Y, or Z, and then here there's 15 topic pages to choose from. And for me, it was more like, I must find out, right? And you know, I have, an, I have anxiety disorder, as we've talked about before on this show. I think people probably remember that. So it, it was more like, I am, I'm having a mild panic attack, and I need to know if there are other ways of thinking about revelation and the end of the world, because I'm freaking out right now. And then I could find that topic and find those resources to help me think through that or work through that. The resources are the same. The approaches and the the lived experience of those approaches are very different. Um, and so earlier on for me, especially before I had language for panic disorder, which is what I had slash sort of have in a recurring kind of a sense, uh, it was it was all propulsion, you know. And it was that doesn't mean I I mean that doesn't mean there was zero control over it and zero agency. And I'm very grateful that there were books I could find and there were – there were, I wasn't listening to podcasts yet, but there were web resources, blog posts and essays and stuff that helped me. Um, but yeah, the – Helped you <laughs> restabilize. Yeah, honestly. I mean so one thing I've learned about myself and it's, it extends to now, 2021, with evangelicals and Trump still, is that when I am made anxious by something – the best long-term strategy for me is to learn about it and understand it. And when I have a better grasp of it, I don't, it doesn't make me as anxious because I, and I, you know, some of that might be kind of like, I need to feel some level of control over it, which might be unhealthy. Uh, but there's also a sense in which it is healthy to become more expert in something is, is to make it not a black box anymore. Does not knowing make you anxious or was it the like actual risk of experiencing suffering like in That's a great question. That's a great question. <laughs> it's less for me about the actual suffering. It is more about the not knowing and the um, a kind of crippling 
uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, not not to be contrasted with having certainty, but just like a like for instance, uh, I interviewed all these people. You guys remember the uh, last year I released these end times anxiety episodes where I interviewed like twenty people about mental health stuff and the rapture and all of that, and only a couple of them had my experience, which was that what we were more afraid of was not being able to like live a full life, having these sort of normal experiences cut off early. Most people, understandably so, were made anxious by the possibility that they would miss the rapture, that they would go to hell, or at least be tormented on earth for seven years before they maybe got to go back to heaven if they did everything right. I never thought I was going to hell. I never thought I wouldn't be raptured. I just wanted a whole life. I wanted to get married, have children, have grandchildren. I wanted to live out my days. Uh, And so in that sense, for instance, having like a young cancer diagnosis would be the same for me as being raptured would cause kind of the same problems. And so some people do have to deal through that stuff, deal with that apparently. I mean, obviously. And so Toby then had more of less of a need for all detailed theology, but Toby, you do actually possess of the fear of hell and those things actually it being true in that way more so. Well, I mean, just the church environment I grew up in. Sarah, I grew up in South Carolina, charismaniacs. My papa was a pastor. Forty people attended the church and speaking in tongues. You had you weren't a Christian unless you spoke in, like you weren't saved. You had yeah. to have evidence of speaking in tongues, all that stuff. And so for me— I, here's what I, I guess I was hearing Dan talk. I think my idea was I was very scared of hell because of just fire and burning, like just the actual pain of it, right? Like that, the way that was taught to me was just the actual physical pain of that forever seemed just horrific, obviously. I mean, that, that this God was the most cruel, vicious, like authoritarian judge, judge as you could ever have. But probably by the time I got to middle school is probably when it started happening, and then high school for sure. I could not get past the idea of, wait a minute, all these other people, like my church said, they're going to hell. I must figure out a way because I like them. And so they, mm-hmm. I, I have to hang out with them because I want to have fun. And the people mm-hmm. I've been hanging out with aren't fun. And I got to have some kind of release valve or something. So those people, how can I figure out how they are all right? There must be, a, a yeah. maybe there's another way or something like that. So that's what opened up a door for me, I think. Like seeing other people and going, wait, because people that didn't go to our church, like Baptists were even bad. Presbyterians were Matt, Greer, oh. Greer First Pres. They were horrific. Same. Yeah, I yeah. Same. I, yeah. I mean, anybody yeah. not in ours. And I didn't know, I didn't know. That's all I was taught from the young age. So I didn't know that they couldn't, they were not bad. So I had to figure that out completely on my own, that they weren't bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can totally relate to the urgency that you're talking about was that I, I love people. I'm feeling connections with people, but the dissonance of like, but I have to believe they're going to be tortured by God forever. Right. And also this right. experience and this conviction and experience that I, I think God is love. And I think Jesus was the bringer of some kind of good news. But it, but the, the message that I'm supposed to share feels like the worst news of right. all time. <laughs> It couldn't get so, worse. So it couldn't yeah. get worse than that. So, yeah. Do you know the good news that you are destined for eternal hell and you completely deserve it? Right. <laughs> right. Toby, you didn't have the need for all the theology to be buttoned up to not be, uh, you know, abstract, conceptually sound to be destabilized like Dan, though. You just never have yeah. needed to know how it worked. Well, right? that that I mean, just once again, from an early age, the theology stuff was uh, – that was more honestly – 
uh, like uh, going to college and you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> you know, the, like too liberal. Like to look to. <laughs> it, I mean, it really, it really was a shutdown on any kind of education or self learning. With this, just listen to the pastor, and the pastor's sermons are always about the same, you know, hellfire and brimstone, uh, ask, repent now, repent, 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 and then maybe you can get, it wasn't, it was, there wasn't much theology ever. In fact, first time I heard it, I was like, what in the world is that? What do they mean? Mm-hmm. It, you just read the Bible and you preach it, you know, because like I said, my papa was a, was the my pastor until I was, you know, 17, 18 years old or something like that. And so for, for me, I think it just ended up being, there was a, uh, they, there was no try to grow or expand or do better. The, what, the, the church I went to, the Church of God of Prophecy, was where if you were going to be a pastor, that's what you should be in, and it, all you had to do was just kind of toe the party line, if you will. That's about it. There wasn't much to it. So, so once again, go, going back to what I was saying earlier, the only there was nothing I could do. It was either literally go to hell or figure out a way I could have friends. Like it, the same way as like music, like you were saying, like, I mean, I wanted to like Rob Zombie when I heard it. I was like, whoa, this is so cool, but it's so evil. It is so horribly evil. Like I remember I had uh, yeah. my brother and I, a friend from church actually got us. Uh, I got um, Appetite for Destruction, uh, Guns N' Roses, and my brother got uh, Slippery When Wet. Uh, bon Jovi oh. and we got to listen to the tape we got uh, tapes and we got to listen to them for a week and then after one week my mom must have came in and listened or heard and she took them away and ripped them up in front of it not in a mean way but she was like listen I know you like these but we can't <laughs> she was trying to do the best she could too yeah. and uh she she they ripped them up and threw them away and I was like man I love that song I mean the, the, those songs like I mean the, both those bands so how in the world could i fix that in my life how could i make sure i like those bands but also serve god and stuff like that so i had to figure out a way so i had to lessen some of that we're right only so that other people could kind of come in mm-hmm. so with deconstruction like this the, the thing that occurs to me is that it just it's like there's a gra- it feels like there's a gravity to it and everybody comes to a similar place and for very different reasons, with very different journeys in that regard. So it seems like there must be a real gravity to it. And I think what's really weird about it or fascinating is that the term deconstruction, like you mentioned before, is a taboo. It's still not, it's not accepted as a term. And it really freaks me out that that term is stigmatized. It really drives me crazy i understand it is but it has this who connotation who do you think it's stigmatized by do you mean in the way that people think it's just like a stop on the way to atheism is that well, what you exa- mean? well yeah so the the typical yeah, eye roll sure. of a pastor if you said the word deconstruction to them it'd be like just you're just doing that it ends in nihilism of course and it's but you know whatever i mean that's you know that's the the mm-hmm. super stereotype of it. But even mm-hmm. just to, even just to talk about it, deconstructing it means I'm. It now it has this connotation of well, I'm being cool and going against the system and the pastor man or something like you're being a dickhead right. or a punk, and that drives me crazy. <laughs> you know, I really really dislike that fact that that is the case. But it's, it's a. But nonetheless, you see, it's obviously the widespread phenomenon that something like unmentionable. But it's not really unmentionable, but there's only a certain group of people that would be willing to say it and identify with it currently. But I think that is going to obviously rise a lot. You've got your finger on some of the kind of cultural pulse that I apparently don't because I'm not really aware of all those, I don't know, 
meanings or assumptions that people have. Maybe I, maybe I, for all the fact that, for <laughs> even though every single episode of my own podcast is about some aspect of deconstruction, I don't really talk about the term with people very often, or really know. even know what people think it means. It just seemed like the cl- the best term for what we were. This is, you know, this is kind of the term that has come to mean the thing that we're talking about with the website. So I guess we got to call it that. But it has a, a connotation to it that is negative, is what I'm saying. And you among well, conservatives, right. like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, cons- among people <laughs> that previously had opinions to deconstruct, what I'm saying is to your own self to admit that you're deconstructing and to not know how deeply this journey is going to be. It's not something people are quick mm-hmm. to jump to admit to themselves is what I'm trying to say. Mm. And then the rest is right. probably downstream from that. But I don't want to deconstruct my marriage. I don't want right. to deconstruct my love for the Clemson Tigers. I don't want to. And if I find myself feeling like I need to, that's going to be shitty. Mm. Mm. And I don't want that to be me because I put a fucking lot in these things. Mm. I see I might what you're need saying, to do yeah. It. So I'm not going to be easy for me to admit it, and I surely don't want somebody else, you know, give me right. a hard time about it. If I had to do it, it's going to be hard work. I, I mean, you know? I think it to, to the degree that that's how people feel about it. I think that that's probably good because it, it's kind of true. Uh, mm-hmm. It it is you you don't want to be flippant about something like really having to deconstruct the faith you were raised with. I mean, Duh, yeah, I know. you know, you so, want to do it. so a word that a word that connotates, you know, oh, this is I don't know where this leads. It's it's scary is is it is both going to deter some people, at least for some amount of time. Uh, but maybe it should because it is a the whole we wouldn't need this website if it wasn't a scary no, prospect, I know, I right? Know, I know that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's in, I mean, there's some work to do with the term and the. I think yeah, it's just totally. I really think it's just early still, and so the people mm. that in the I, I mean, I, this sounds stupid, but I was having a conversation with somebody from Mars Hill the other day, and who was very involved at a higher level than me. And was it Mark Driscoll? It was Mark. Yeah, <laughs> okay. um, I'm chat with Mark the other day. We were on Parlor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Y'all met at Starbucks. Oh, Parlor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, but we, uh, but he was saying like, um, like he's just now really understanding his deconstruction and that the levy eventually had to break, but it was held up for a long time in that system yeah. or whatever. And I was saying, you know, we kind of got out a little earlier. Toby and I are punks by trade. I mean, I'm a punk. I get that. And so I think of some of the deconstruction from 2015 to now as a little bit more obnoxious people being willing to do it, first of all. So that, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that tags it a little bit. But but the, some of the people that stay with these systems, and Mars Hill thrust a bunch of people involuntarily into deconstruction because yeah. they grew up yeah. in a church like Toby's where there's whatever. And then they go up to the big to the big show. Big leagues, yeah. Yeah, and then you're in the big leagues, and of course nobody goes back. You don't go back. Everybody knows that. So yeah. this, these, they farm out the fuel for their mega system from those churches, and then when that collapses, deconstruction is really all that. It, it must take place totally. to some degree now. How deep totally. and how much can you handle destabilization becomes the question. So it really, deconstruction, anybody that can say deconstruction and admit that they're doing yeah. it, is somebody who can well, handle some destabilization and to yeah. what degree and how deep. So you Everybody. don't like these people? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying the people that stigmatize the, you know, you got to help people understand that deconstructing is That's good to thing. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody you ask who's honest, well, 
the vast majority of people, even pretty conservative people, if you say, have you ever experienced doubts about your faith? Have you ever had a period of doubt in regards to your faith? Everybody says yes. Every, like most everybody says yes. And so I think what you're saying is right, that when you say deconstruct, it has a connotation relating relating to naysayers and punk rockers. Abandoning like the faith. <laughs> rebellious yeah. idiot, folks. Whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sarah spent years people. around Rob Zombie. She can be, she's fine being perceived as rebellious and satanic. <laughs> well, there's people that would have, let's just use Mars Hill. I, I can't help but use that as my, my experience. It's a great example. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an early prototype of what I think is now transpiring on larger scale. So I use that model and it continues to fit. But um, most people that were there would still be there today. Right. They would still be doing that, and many mm. of them have deconstructed. Maybe that's good for them, so maybe it's good the whole thing happened. I'm not trying to analyze that. I'm just saying the fact that it actually was so extreme that it had to implode and trigger these you know, reconstructions and deconstructions right. is very fascinating. And I think most people right now with the evangelical church are having the feelings that many Mars Hill people were having in 2014, 13. Like, this it's, is, yeah. I know I can't stay long-term. It's, I'm not ready it's to call super, myself, you know. It's super biblical. What do you mean? <laughs> I, you're operating in the prophetic tradition, right? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. questioning the power structures. Yeah. Like that's what the prophet. Well, that's what everybody's doing was. now. But I mean, well, everybody's forced I mean, everybody. into that. Uh, so, come yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, everybody I think, knows the institutions are in trouble like and saying, the whole thing. But like, yeah, but like you're saying, like someone's got to go first like most people won't be willing to like go first so that's why these like leaders are popping up in, in the deconstruction movement or whatever you want to call it yeah yeah i think that's been i think that's partly the case i don't want to, to, to be <laughs> not your guru how dare you hey i i think that there's i think it's worth thinking about two things that are separate from each other but that interact in the model that you're talking about matt one of them is there is sort of an objective reality to the way that certain theological and church structures have been built up. The assumptions that they make and their relative either connection to or disconnection from, for instance, the rest of the Christian tradition. So the, what Toby's giving a great example of this, that basically he was brought up in a fully fundamentalist model that ignored the existence of 95 plus percent of of global Christians and needed to because if it, it if it had given them uh, a fair shake then it would not have its tight little completely you know steel box that it right. could do that you can fit inside right so that's and that's one of the factors that really affects how and when someone goes through deconstruction, how tight was that box that they were told they had to fit into? And Carter, I think this partially explains why your process has not been as painful and as shattering as a lot of people, because you grew up basically a secular Presbyterian, and it was only later that you right. tried to put a box, and you never were going to fit in that box anyway. Not so. Tried. You know what I mean? You tried, but like that was never going to work. I know you well enough to know that. Uh, whereas Toby and Sari were fully indoctrinated in this from youth. And that, so there, that's one factor. And then the other factor is uh, these big events 
like Driscoll and Mars Hill blowing up or like continued support for Trump, the storming of the Capitol building, these kind of flashpoint events that get people moving who personality wise are not the seeker. Like my wife, for instance, you know, she like I always talk about Jaffrey. She needs about five percent of the level of theological detail that I need. And that's fine. And we are roughly at the same place and moving the same direction. But I need to read 20 books for every one book she needs to read about this kind of stuff. But big events like, you know, family members vocally supporting Trump through X, you know, A, B, C, D, E, all these events that gets someone like Jaffrey moving, whereas I was already moving because I was fucking anxious about the end times and worried about the Canaanite genocide. You know what I mean? So those but those two things are kind of separate from each other. It's like they're external events and then there are internal states that are created by upbringings, basically. Yes. Yes. I think uh, (laughs) upbringing seems to be the, the big kicker on it all, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, think it's I think it's probably the way you're raised is probably the you know, if if we could sort of plot out all the forces that go into someone's deconstruction timing and process, I would guess that upbringing and if you can meld that with parents, like parents and pastor and and church, like that's probably explains the largest percentage of the variance. between. Is there anything in life where you can't also say the same thing, any area of life for that? No, that's why I'm becoming a fucking psychologist, dude. Come on. Is there a... Get on board. So uh, deconstruction, so we were talking about being punk or whatever. So the reason punk is good is because it feels like Everybody around you, you aren't going to just group think or do the exact same thing as them, right? But but is there a danger with deconstruction that you're just trading one fundamentalism to the next? Is that like is part of this like this site? Uh, so you're deconstructing dot uh, com, right? Ooh, not dot org. I love it that. Dot com. Dot com. Nice. Um, We're not a five hundred one c three. Oh Toby. yeah. <laughs> but, but is there is that part of the idea up. here too that you, it's not just going to another type of fundamentalism? Like everybody deconstructs and all of a sudden we all agree that uh, gay people can get married and that we you know rights here that like and that's it. Like it feels sometimes like you're just swapping one thing out for the other. Is is I mean is how do you avoid that? Uh, I tried to get Sari to answer, but she pointed back at me. Um, so this is something that I've actually been thinking about a lot uh, recently. Yeah, I mean, the quick answer to your question, Toby, is yes. Both of us are worried about that kind of thing, that kind of swapping one fundamentalism for another. And I, I, I fairly recently sort of heard a psychologist talking about this that made made sense to me of why we do see that in such a common way. And that is that basically... If you're raised fundam- – let's use fundamentalism, for example, because oh. it's the clearest example. So if you're raised fundamentalist, you're raised to basically uh, block off the part of you that could think critically about what is being presented to you. And and you're supposed to replace that with uh, fealty, loyalty, um, virtue, signaling with your virtue and your words and whatever that you're on the right team, that you are the chosen one part of the chosen group and doing things by God's plan. Now, if you have to deconstruct out of that fundamentalism for whatever reason, what's harder to do to change your brain so that you now can learn to independently 
uh, consider different viewpoints and play the reasons for and against and empathize with people with other perspectives? Or is it easier to keep all your same brain structure and just replace which team you're on and which team you're against? And continue to signal your virtue to the group and continue to only think about things one way. That's so much. That's the road. That's far the road of least resistance by far the road of least resistance is to just, oh, so now it's actually it's the Christians who are bad and it's the atheists who are good. I'll just switch over there and I don't actually have to learn to think. Now, that's a caricature, but it's a model that shows why that's common, because it's actually much harder to go. Actually, what I was raised with is an inability to consider things. And now I have to kind of start over where other people have decades of experience. Some people grow up in families where debate is normal and you have to talk through stuff. And and some people, fundamentalists, do not grow up in those kind of families, generally speaking, unless only one parent is or something. And that's probably a lot more healthy in this regard. So, you you know, like a, a pub crawl, you go to different bars in a different setting. It's, like, really fun, you know? I think cult hopping, what you're describing there, is also a blast. <laughs> it's I miss pub crawls so much, it's like man. A, it's like cult hopping. You do one for, like, five years. You go all in, like I did at Mars Hill. You start another one. <laughs> oh, do that's thing. so dark. I, you know, you, you, you deconstruct. You just, you know, you got to get, get out of that place, clear your mind, and find another cult to hop right into. Whether, you know, that's, I, that's well, the that's danger. Why, that's why we made the site to hopefully not present like, oh, here's a new ideology for you to sign up for. Here's what liberal, cool liberal mm-hmm. Christianity is, you know? Um, each, you know, when you go to our topics page and it's got all the fun stuff there, the hell and LGBTQ stuff and purity stuff or whatever. And we tried to kind of present a plurality of sort of just kind of better, healthier ways of thinking about those issues, as well as the, you know, the page about therapy, the page about your community, the page like this more holistic thing. So we tried to present some plurality about more healthier places to go everywhere from like, you'll see some like NT Wright stuff on there, some Bible Project Tim Mackey stuff on there to, you know, more, more progressive you know, as far left as you can go. Let's see if I can get all the way down to a mathematical formula then, if you'll let me. Oh, can God. we say, it'll be a simple one. This, <laughs> is, this is simple, but deconstruction, you know, untethered is dangerous. That's what I'm saying. I agree that's dangerous. I understand. So it's dangerous to the degree that you could become destabilized or scooped up by a worse ideology. That's Many people in conservative churches know that mm-hmm. when they warn to not do go on this journey. They're looking right. at somebody that they see as possibly psychologically weak. They know what's out there in the rest of the culture, and they say it's not mm-hmm. wise for you to embark on this journey. They're probably right a lot when they do that. I believe mm-hmm. that many people are right to warn to not take that journey for those two reasons. So to the degree that— Well, yeah. Another problem is that— well, I mean, it's still hard, like finding folks who are safe to sort of like talk about questions with, mm-hmm. you know, so you're right. Like there's a lot of unsafe communities. You've mm-hmm. got your main church community that you grew up in and it's everybody you ever knew and everybody your family's ever known. And so mm-hmm. if you start having questions and ideas that are different than that, you can't really talk to anyone about them or, or whatever. There's that culture going on. The but big then, show. Yeah, well, you're, I totally see. The big show, like Mars Hill, there's every thought leader with a 
platform and your guru that's going to be the bigger, better. That's going to be there. You're going to find it. The algorithm's coming for you. They're, uh, we're learning how to create cults at an astonishingly uh, efficient rate mm-hmm. that are better than any of the ones we've had before. That's the mm-hmm. situation we're heading for at this time. So it is kind of scary territory. So I think that's one of the reasons why your site is so you know, useful and important because it's at least capturing the people that understand that's what they're doing. So I would say that the formula for it is that deconstruction alone is not, I mean, it, 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 it does take you down a road of destabilization and then you're going to restabilize somehow with one of the ways or whatever. So the, it has to be deconstruction and the replacement that I think they're finding on your site. And then I hear you talk about in the themes of it here is it's got to be, Added to it, metacognition has to be the thing that mm-hmm. goes along with deconstruction, right? You have to put, that's what you were talking about, Dan. And that's what I heard Sari saying she was yeah. doing. You know, she said it was woo-woo. She called metacognition woo-woo earlier. And you said you had to go figure out, you know, all this stuff and the other people, when they come down from that, they don't replace it with anything. There's nothing. They right. haven't learned how to yeah, consider thinking things. About, thinking Rationality. about thinking. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about thinking. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, I keep thinking about Alan Jacobs' book, How to Think, which I read around the time of Trump's inauguration. And just the, we need like 100 more books like that for various uh, subcultures. Basically just like how to navigate the world for people who will buy a book from this person, how to navigate the world for people who will buy a book from this person. Like we just need a hundred leaders to like do a a good responsible version of how to evaluate arguments and news sources and, you know, tribal signage and whatever. Like we just need a ton of that out there because we used to have some of that done for us by there only being, for instance, three news organizations or TV channels or a handful of papers of record that could not afford to get things wrong, you know, and and now all of that has broken down because of the Internet and cable news and, and all this stuff and people and social media, of course, now and. And people don't know they don't have those skills. I mean, they they maybe never skills. had the skills, yeah, right, right. but there were institutions that kept it so that it didn't matter as much that they didn't underdeveloped have skills, skills from childhood is what we're sure. talking about. What what I was thinking about when you were talking, Matt, is that you know right now we're kind of riding the wave, and Sari and I we know that there is a current wave of people coming out of evangelicalism into a kind of a no man's land, but right. that is. That's a historical fact. That just happens to be where we at are at right now, and it's the fruit of the tree of 50 years of Christian nationalism and the religious right, uh, mm-hmm. culminating, oddly enough, ironically enough, in Donald Trump, which is still like the most insane end to that story I can could oh, it was, ever it's have the written end? That. I mean, Are you so it's, sure? it's the apex. The end. <laughs> it's an apex <laughs> because it will I'm certainly. The end. I think it's the high water mark. Uh, numerically, and it will go down. Um, but uh, <laughs> season one finale. I just mean because the <laughs> because young people are young people are just being bled at an incredible rate out of that movement. So it it has right. a kind of a generational expiration date. Um, but that that it might be true that 10, 20 years from now, what we, we there needs to be a website for people who are raised by fundamentalist atheist parents who yeah. left their evangelicalism <laughs> and they need to deconstruct their fundamentalist atheism and like read some more complicated stuff about God and science and you know what we don't know and learn how to think and learn about moral reasoning. You know, like there there are any number of versions of this. 
right? It doesn't, it's not only for religious people. It's just, it's breaking down the thing that you were given that was presented to you as immutable and that now is causing problems in your life. I think now this is just feels like though it's infected all parts of life. Like for example, I, even though it was wrong, it was very easy when I was in eighth grade to believe that gay people were just bad. Right. Like it is just, it was everybody that I hung out with because of my environment that was very closed off that box or whatever. It's just very easy. It's just super easy to go, oh, yeah, but gay people are, are bad. And and in the small town of Greer in the late 80s, early 90s, even the gay people knew that. Well, I'm not going to talk about being gay because, you know, it, it's probably wrong or what. You know, I mean, there was a just a real clear definition of what was right and wrong. And then you just, you know, did, tried to hide when you did the wrong stuff. If you got divorced, I mean, that was the wrong thing. You know, if you did, you know, if you were gay, you just tried to hide it or whatever. Obviously wrong. But now it, it seems like it's, it's even more difficult to deconstruct because, I, I mean, just being totally honest, the church system that I grew up in felt, it really feels like it was totally full of lies. And so now I'm really wary. The same way as, I mean, should I just immediately jump into the Me Too movement or BLM? Or what? What's the? What, you know what? What's coming next? Should should I buy into uh, completely that Trump is that Satan or and the Democratic Party or is going to save us or not? Like I mean, now you're, you're talking about metacognition. Deconstruction isn't just my faith anymore. It's literally right. you're yeah, right. There's right. a billion cults out there trying to get me that's right. and get my attention, and I have to really question every single one and can't yep. just can't just flippantly go yep i'm in because this is a good cause because the church was a good cause right. the church i grew up in was a great cause people are go- we're trying to save people from hell i mean there couldn't be a a a more cause it, it save them from eternity of torment and so now i mean all the causes there's tons of causes that are good causes that sound amazing that's what i'm saying like black lives matter i totally get everything about that but should i question it is that should I deconstruct that or not? Pre-con- like, uh, should, should I just jump right in and go? Yeah, it's right. Uh, uh, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, I mean, maybe uh, 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 that's maybe that's even a bad example. Uh, you know, uh, like for example, Me Too movement. I 100. percent I'm fully on board. I don't. I don't want women being used that way. To you know, men get sex, women get you know a, a role in a movie or whatever. Yeah, you agree or, yeah. with the principle. Yes. But should you join in the momentum of the particular social movement of the moment? Right, is a separate question. Social from, movement. Well, right. well, well let me give it. That's what I was going to say. How do I? The, which is the way I feel about Christ. How do I participate to the level that I can and be involved in? That's what I was going to. That, maybe that's the the what yeah. the avenue I'm trying to get. Like when you guys are talking about deconstruction. How do I get back into Christianity? I, I can't go back to church. I'm not going to send my. I'm not taking my kids back to anything that resembled what I did. I'm not. I mean, and and people can tell me forever that their church is different and it's it's new, but I am not taking my kids back to something that resembled what I did because I don't know if that's that good for them. And so how? But I w- mm-hmm. I'd like to. I I want fellowship. I, I I thought taking the sacraments and singing songs about our God and hearing a really heartfelt sermon or you know something that exposed something that I didn't realize in the Bible is really good. But how do I go back? I don't. I mean, so far I haven't. We haven't been to church in a year and a half, two close to two years, and I don't see the avenue back except for we're in a new town, so it might be nice to meet some friends for our kids. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. only reason I probably go back to church. 
Yeah, Toby is trying to figure it out. He he's alternating really quickly between you know uh, QAnon and Antifa though. He <laughs> yeah. just cannot figure out. There's some really per- pros and cons to each. He figures. You know, we didn't walk on the moon. Oh God, you know that. Am I hearing we need like a new page on our website, Dan? That's just called like metacognition. It might need to be. Well, I, I think no, how well, to no, think about nobody's going to like that. Nobody wants to. That's not how they think of it either. Well, so the, it that's what I'm saying. Both words are honestly. Yeah, right. Nobody's going to sign up right. for that. Nobody will ever sign yeah. up for it. I'm just saying. I think that's what is already there. I think that's what it is. I'm just totally. saying it in my out analytical yeah, mathematical way. It's a good word. It's a good term for it. Down. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way Terms to get. Are not favorite. I mean. I mean, we are operating with some kind of assumption that engaging with God and something about engaging with the Jesus story is good for a human. Yeah. And if there's something that's keeping you from that, you know, we, I mean, I probably a lot of work, more work needs to be done on the church side of things because how does church factor into that is really complicated and there's trauma wrapped up in that and, and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, if it's just, if it's just like, the hell thing then there's probably some stuff you could read that might help you you know that's keeping you from that engagement or and plenty of but. denominations that would never tell your kids that people are going to hell right you know? right right yeah right. yeah um, maybe you'd never knew memory you never that never occurred to you well just not that though i mean there's just so much more wrapped up with church for me not there's just the hell stuff i yeah, mean i don't yeah, I, the, totally. the, the, the the authority of it and how, how, what that looks yeah. like, and I mean the idea oh, of, of, of the pastoral role is is getting more and more iffy to me because I don't, mm-hmm. I I just don't trust a lot, and so that's that's what I'm saying. It kind of has infected everything because I want to. I there's of course things and causes and reasons to stand strong and uh, you know protest and do things, and then at the same time, like I mean, I, going back to the Capitol building, those people really think that they're trying to do the right thing for everybody. They, they I know they're terrible. I'm not, I'm not giving yeah, them a pass. Of course they do. But, yeah. but they thought that they thought I mean, wouldn't isn't there a pretty serious parallel there to what they think's happening to America and what, you know, people think with uh cops or with with you know, bad guys or other countries or, you know, what whatever it might be. Yeah, you and mean so the, it, there's hard. there's only so many sets of internal psychological states that lead one to Enter right. the Capitol building. Right. I mean, they, you know, and they're going to look similar to other protesters right. in terms of there are only certain kinds of beliefs that motivate that kind of That's action. Right. And yeah. so, at an internal level, they're similar, even if uh, the let's say the factual basis for the causes are quite disparate. Well, but I want to talk about a different thing; they'd be the same. Could I go back to the church thing for a minute, Toby? Because yeah, this is something that I'm. You know, we also are not at church right now, and. Uh, part of that was pregnancy and a newborn and part of it's COVID and part of it was just needing a break. But one of the things that I've been trying to learn more about and inviting guests on to talk about and, and researching myself is that from, from purely like the social science angle, church is like good for people, statistically speaking, it, it, and especially for youth. Like it's, um, I don't have the stuff in front of me right now. I, I should have pulled it up, but off the top of my head, there, there's just like hundreds and hundreds of these studies, like lower risk factor for drug and alcohol use for risky sex behavior as a teenager for, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, in fact, people with bad attachment can attachment from their parents can reattach to God and pastor figures. I know that scares you guys because, 
the pastor could then do bad things with that attachment, could use that the psychological power poorly. But of course, you you have the option, for instance, at a home church to like get to know the head pastor, and you know what the fuck you're looking for, and you could spot it a mile away. So you might find uh, somebody. We don't. Tell me, I like don't that. have a good track record of that. <laughs> you do. I think you do. I think you'd have a better one now than before. Perhaps uh, the Driscoll stuff went down. Um, so the the question that I have is, and I and I have some upcoming shows about this, and I will continue learning is how can we separate out the stuff that's good? Because there's also stuff that's harmful about religion, and it tends to be kind of in-group, out-group stuff. Um, people who are more religious tend to be more prejudiced against people not like them because they tend to find their community in a homogenous, you know, church group or whatever. And that probably leads to biases against the other. But there are also ways that people are figuring out of of separating out what kind of religious experience people are having and then correlating that to these good and bad outcomes. And it's a it's a project that I'm really interested in. Basically, can we bring evidence to how we structure church and and figure out ways that maintain the spiritual connection and the community and whatever, an avenue for genuinely relating with God and as much as possible minimize the chance for bad actors to take over narcissistic pastors, et cetera. And, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm researching spiritual abuse. How do we reduce that? And how do we reduce this in-group, out-group stuff that leads to people, to Christians being more anti-immigrant, you know, for instance, and stuff like that. But the, you know, the answer to that is all those things could be engineered and built, but there's no incentive for anyone to do so. The people with the incentives aren't, that's not their aims. The people that build churches, that's not their aims. Uh, I I actually They're, think not that's aligned not I mean, true. Well, the engineering project couldn't be that hard if it was like you say. No, I don't think why that's true. Why would you use true. the data and cr- start creating it for outcomes then? I mean, why don't pastors get together and do data outcomes? and? Lo- I mean, that's, if that was their motivation, why wouldn't they do that? Sarah, you want to take a shot at that? <laughs> why don't they just use the data that you're talking about? Well, not of that's not a lot of that work has been done. That integrative work, um, right? And you're and you're saying that's because there's no reason to do it. To there's not nobody do wants it. to yeah, do it because, right, right, right. But nobody wants it. I don't think you can say that about everybody. I think that there are people who, if they were introduced to the idea, would welcome it. Right, but that's way off of from, from fixing the current one, though. <laughs> like, there's not right. even people who know to start building a new project yet. Is what I'm hearing you say. Not, I mean, people are working it. on it. That it's not like I would say more that it's it's early. Yeah, like colonizing Mars early. We're early. I agree. Sure. On this engineering project of healthy church with. I mean, the question is: Does the whole thing need to be just scrapped? You know, to start. Good question. I mean, can we ask that question? I'm in a biblical mood today, and so I I feel like there's always a remnant. Who's asking that question? (laughs) Who asked that question? What question? Does the whole thing have to be scrapped or not? I'm not saying that it does. Oh, I'm we saying are. who who who's asking <laughs> that, and how's the conversation going, yeah. and are we starting to figure out one way or the other yet? When is that oh, going to be? I mean, I think in light of what's been happening last, we don't even weeks, know. I think a, a lot of people are going to ask. Yeah, yeah. That question. Right. Yeah, I, th- I like- think I think of the churches uh, very similarly to Bill Cosby. Man, he did a <laughs> lot of good. He's super funny. I loved his specials. I ain't gonna trust him again. Let's not fix. I'm him, not, I'm not gonna trust him again. Let's not right, hear him. Okay, but it's worth noting, Toby, and I don't blame you for this. But that is a trauma response, not a response based on the statistical 
likelihood no, but, uh, well, of whatever. Okay, you know let me saying? give you some statistics then. Ninety-two. Let me tell you this: ninety-two percent of people that are in this organization uh, are less likely to get involved in drugs. Eighty percent are less likely to get pregnant. This is in your teenage years. Three times are more likely to graduate than other folks. Uh, you know what that is? Youth what? athletics and sports. Sure. So I, can, yeah. I mean, so I mean. I understand, but I mean, like, I can give you some stats about yep. uh, other organizations that are going to give you a lot as well, and they don't control you and tell you what you have to think. Like, or sport, have sex like, with sp- your children. Sports, sports specifically. I, I, yeah, actually, well, sports specific. okay, but, but no. no, but this is a this is an important point, Carter. You saw the news about the Boy Scouts of America, right? Yeah, yeah. You know that right. they're settling something like five to seven yeah. times the number of sexual lawsuits that the Catholic Church I, settled. Yeah, I don't think that. Yeah, I get it. I mean, no, I'm just. I get it. All I'm saying is, we want to say but something. Why like, are we talking about whether or not we, we're not even to the question of well, do we need a fundamental rebuild or can we tweak this? I don't understand that. All that I'm, I'm saying, lost what I on think that line that, of thinking, what I'm think that those things point to is not so much that there's something about church and independently there's something about the Boy Scouts and independently there's something about uh, coaches or whatever. You know, it's like there's something about humans that when whenever structures allow people with bad character or whatever to get in positions of authority over children, X happens. And so the, the solution to that is not you can't wipe all those people off the earth because you don't know who they are. So mm-hmm. the solution to that is like robust structures in place, right? And that's like I'm just saying youth sports, Boy Scouts, these are not clearly solutions to that issue. And the Boy Scouts piece of evidence is a very damning piece of evidence. Yeah, but we listen, I grew up in the Presbyterian tradition and I the the thing that was heralded most about it by my mother was the fact that it was an institution that didn't let one-off pastors come in and take over and blah blah blah. Right. She's saying that since I was a little kid. It's true. And so she was big on that idea. I've known that my whole life and have been told that. And when I got involved in Mars Hill, um you know, my mom knew it. She you know, she the whole time she's like, "Oh no." I know yep. what this is, and I was yeah. mad at her the whole time. But um, so the thing is, though, that the one before the Presbyterian is the Catholic, and there's the Presbyterian. And the, the, it, I, I left that willingly, knowing that you ain't fixing that. You ain't fixing the Presbytery. You ain't. It, it is what it is. Just like it's, a, it's an old institution that it's whatever problems it has, they're not going away. It's not about to innovate. It's not nothing's about to change in the presbytery. Therefore, maybe this fucking guy's got something at least. Mm. And so, yeah. turns out that guy ain't got nothing. But I still yeah. know that presbytery ain't about to get fixed or updated to anything because institutions don't behave that way. So, mm. what are we talking about? But yeah, what so are we maybe fix? it's a, okay. So maybe it's a new institution that takes the good stuff from the Presbyterian model. For instance, I mean, I just had Jim Wellman on who's in town with us here at UW. He wrote a whole book uh, with like four co-researchers on all the things that megachurches do for people. And he says he talks about megachurches being they are essentially a middle class phenomenon. The academy does not like giving them their due because the academy is full of upper class people, even if they don't make a lot of money. They're, you know, sort of socially upper class uh, or whatever, uh, administrative class, whatever that's called, professional class. and But, like, the research doesn't lie. These churches do good things for people, except when they don't and they destroy lives, like Mars Hill. 
And so the question for me is, it's not obvious what the answer is here. The difficult question is like, what's going on? What can we keep and what can we get rid of? How much structure around a charismatic leader is enough to prevent Mars Hill from happening, but not so much to squelch them from being able to do because we want to follow charismatic people naturally. But as human we who? Yeah. Who's the we? Humans do. I mean, they're not the people that run the churches currently and not the people that go to them currently. Not them. No, not, the people that's who go we. to them want to follow charismatic people. Yeah, they do. I'm just saying, you say we need to fix these things. Who's the we? I mean, that's the oh. real problem here. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's an open question, but researchers, no. church, plant, church planning networks can start a new one with different rules. It's like... It's like the laboratory of democracy, you know, the states. It's like you try different things out, see what works. Well, yeah, but once you unleash that force, then eventually the maximizers can't, you know. I mean, you see that eventually when something's an open market game like that, like you just described, which is true. It's a good idea, except for the ones that are going to win out, the winner-take-all scenarios emerge from that, the Jeff Bezos of and it, maybe and, uh, and all the harms that come with p- power consolidation that's the only way it can occur if you say oh it's open market you church plant you do this okay well then the best it, Stephen Furry yeah. with the, is going to win always. but it sounds like you think there's an alternative where we just exit entirely from it to some neutral place but of course we yeah, can't well, exactly. do that that's med- so we're going right. to some other place that also doesn't have enough yeah. uh, robust enough rules around it and we join the local hiking co-op and it turns out that that dude's a pedophile right. and nobody no, no. knew because he's not connected to some yeah. law. like it's not there's no neutral ground from which we can escape all of this stuff. Each right. one of these institutions no, could get better, right. could get worse. Who's doing it, Carter? The answer is every fucking one yeah. of us. Yeah, it's, it's our mess. job to do that work in whatever institutional context we happen to be but in. The, the more we look, the more that's what I'm saying. You, it's about are you willing to look or not? And the answer when I say we, most people are not willing to look, and most people most are not people able won't. to look. They're not able to, and that's okay. The road is narrow that leads to be- life, Jesus Because said. everybody out there that's trying to help you, everybody that seemed like the good people, there's a lot of pedophiles in all of them, in the school right. teachers and everybody. They're, like it's there's so many things now to you're, deconstruct. Now you're sounding it, like QAnon. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. It's not I know like you that. don't mean that there are forty thousand. But that's why QAnon has power because it's yeah. true that everywhere that people trust, there's that kind of shit is in it's all possible. of it. Yeah. And so yeah, when yeah, they're, they're going to claim it, but it's true. Like you're going to see way more teachers have had sex with students than you have heard about yet. That's yet to come, especially female to male. I mean, it, that's going to be destabilizing for people that think teachers are so sweet. Well, they are, but they're not. But there's monsters. But there's uh, oh shit. I mean, we're gonna cops. Same thing. Here we go. I mean, it's it's it's, it's destabilizing. We're mm-hmm. destabilized. Deconstruction is where we're at. You just have to l- accept it or embrace it or something. I don't know. And I don't know what. Else. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe the, that's what I'm saying. Maybe the future is you deconstruct it all. You, you and have it sounds to. exhausting, but you're right. Like you just can't just accept something. I mean, you can't. I mean, he Ever. said it. Be- he said it best. Dig through the ditches and burn through the witches and slam in the back of my Dragula. Dragula. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He didn't even know how prophetic he would be, right? <laughs> my God, Rob, nice Robert Zombie. Yeah. Hell yeah! All right, mean, Robert knows. Yeah, Sarah, think, you want to jump in I'm here? Doing... <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, I just I agree with a lot of. I mean, I'm playing catch up on. 
your guys' experiences. I don't know you guys super well. And it's clear that there have been some really dark, horrible <laughs> times with institutions. Um, human beings are going to constantly, though, be like gathering together, creating communities, creating mm-hmm. institutions, yes. creating organizations throughout time. It's what we naturally do. And it's what we need yep. to do for Got health. To. And maybe the the ones that call themselves churches are not famous right now. <laughs> well, like Dan said, there are mega churches that do a lot of good. I've been part of big churches that I've really benefited from being a part of, even though I ended up not agreeing with, you know, uh, portions of the thought and the praxis. But, you know, there maybe some of the churches that are doing the most good are, you know, 40 people, you know, on this on meeting at someone's home and you know, the pastor is just didn't go to school. And, you know, there's all these off the beaten path communities that are going to start springing up, I think. Wouldn't you say that many people in a lot of those communities, it's okay to be there? Like this website isn't about you need to leave your church and throw your faith away. I mean, you know what I mean? Right. Like you're just here to allow people to take this. You know what I mean? I don't know how you say that, but We think of it as people who have already figured out that they are deconstructing. Here's a resource Mm -hmm. for you. Exactly. We're not trying to convert you to deconstruct. And many people should stay in their institutions, their churches, their organizations, whatever. Otherwise, how do those things change? They either Mm -hmm. like if all the healthy people leave something, it either dies or becomes stronger and worse. Yes, right. because all the people left and it's it, it's like each time that's a discernment call. Is this place likely to die or is it likely to just get more insular and more strong? And you, it's very difficult to know what the future would be for any particular church organization. The critique about pastors, though, is a huge problem. And the kind of mentality and the cult, pastor culture that exists that are, you know, they're pumping them out of sem- seminaries. And uh-huh. the, it's like a lot of guys who like maybe would have been politicians, but right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm it's more worried skill. about the ones who are not going to seminary, frankly, than the ones who are, because at least in most seminaries, you get certain kinds of pastoral care training and some rudimentary psychological education about what you're doing and the power you wield, you know, uh, and a lot of church movements do not require any any training whatsoever, just that you would think you had a calling from the Lord. The leadership culture is actually Yeah, all these all these yeah, conferences are not it. even about pastoring. They're about no, leadership. They're, they're basically business conferences. But that's what I'm saying. That's what right. happens. That's what cults that's what happens in cults. It's like a it's like a you, stable you know organization. This. I don't like the word that you keep using the word cult. I'm gonna use confusing. it a thousand more times because we're trying to <laughs> <Okay>. destigmatize <laughs> and normalize that language because it's the best way to think about your pre cults that you're in that you just described because you said people are gonna leave them and they're gonna become even more dangerous, meaning they're pre cults that a charismatic uh. leader can seize control love no uh, is that maybe. what you're saying they can be that they can become that they can become other things right. too that aren't so the pre-cults cults. then okay oh my gosh if yeah. and you have to actively guard against it but saying i would never we be don't have to we don't have to litigate means we don't you don't have, have to think to, about it <laughs> it is true that you know uh it's true that smart people can end up in cults and that you wouldn't think would end up there. Yes, that's true. I'm we just don't saying have there's to a cult aspect to all our social systems that if you can keep it in your metacognitive awareness, you can prevent against the bad outcomes yeah, from. And sure. you can set your participation level with your 
active culture. Participation level is so funny because I grew up thinking that the type of parent, Christian parent, who would be like, don't get like too involved in this. Like, you know, we we exactly. have these. Uh, That's right. And now, like, I'm like. That's fully right. planning on being that kind of Christian That's parent. Right. That's great. And it was really funny to to notice that and go, the, oh, I was totally I was totally told to be to worry about those kind of parents who were like not fully committed to the cause. That sounds it, like it, what a cult would say, right? And then you go, yes. I go to the Baptist church down the street and my parents act that way and I'm like, but mom, they say you need to be all in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I and I thought my mom was bad. Right. You know? That so I I just that's the way I see it, you know. Pre-cult sounds kind of gross. There's something about that word. I don't like that. <laughs> you know, like pre-stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's that just, pre-cult. Yeah. Don't get near that The thing is, the good thing is you can't get pregnant from pre-cults. No, you can't. You Come can't. on. You can't get all the way indoctrinated. You can't get all the way indoctrinated from pre-cults, only from the full-on regular <laughs> only cults. Only right. You know, yep. the penetra- penetrative I heard cults. Suzanne Summers though, did got pre-cult even through underwear. <laughs> so. That's the urban legend. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh an old God. joke. People don't even know who people don't even know who Suzanne Summers is. Listen to this, probably. Bye, uh, Master. Yeah, she was awesome. All right, so uh, give us a uh, y'all give us your pitch. What what's the site again? <laughs> Tell us where people can find you. <laughs> what are y'all up to? Uh, so so you're what we've been talking about. <laughs> the website is so you're deconstructing dot com. S-O-Y-O-U-R-E, deconstructing. It's a beautiful site. There's communities attached, topics, practices. What's in this practices section? That's what I like. Classic spiritual practices, which is great. I do think that's great. I mean, that that gets you ahead of, I mean, if you go back classic, you skip the last 50 years stuff, right? (laughs) Is that the idea? Uh, So those are... um, Contemplative practice has been really important for both Sari and my own story. I've I've told my version of that, I'm sure, on here before. Um, And so, and it's a big part, like Sari mentioned mindfulness earlier, and and that's very similar to, for instance, Christian Centering Prayer. And it's just like, uh, it's therapeutic. It's also, we like pointing back to things that are historic because, I mean, you were joking, but you're kind of right that uh, history is a can be a good check on the fads of the moment. And one of the things that we are today, and I myself am completely complicit in this, is like thoroughly distracted and addicted to screens and constant frenetic energy and looking stuff up. And, you know, I, I, my screen time yesterday was six hours just on my phone, not counting that I watched the movie Battleship, which I don't necessarily (laughs) recommend. Um, And, I mean, some of that was playing chess while I was watching Battleship on my phone, but still, like, that's insane. And, like, people didn't do that 500 years ago, and I wonder what they knew about being human that I am missing because I'm doing that all day long. And so it's a way to even out the sources of influence, and, and uh, of course, Christ himself had these long prayer retreats and, and went into silence, and it's all over the Sermon on the Mount, this kind of prayer, and... um so, yeah, that's why that's on there. I'd consider adding Walt Shelton to that page. We had him on this podcast. If you didn't listen to the episode, check it out. He's a contemplative, original, really unique person. Is this Devin's um, dad? He's not Devin's dad. Although Ronnie Shelton's interesting <laughs> and a very unique person that I recommend yeah. getting to know if yeah. you have the opportunity as well. Yeah. yeah. Noted. 
Well, thank right. you guys yeah. very much thank for you the folks for being today. on here. We enjoyed it. This is very good. I hope you put Dragula in like the intro or the outro or something. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's a good That's idea. A good